Hello and welcome to the Pure Championship podcast, the number one podcast in the Scottish Championship. I'm Cammy Anderson and as ever I'm joined by Chris Sampson. It was a big weekend in the Championship as we had our first Pure Championship derby of the season as my pars took on Chris's Morton. So that's where we'll start today's episode. Chris, a Pure Championship derby win for your side at the weekend. How are you feeling after that one? I'm absolutely delighted, Cammy. Um, obviously... It was a a very, very eventful week for Greenick Morton, uh, which we should probably start on, to be honest. Uh, David Hopkins obviously walked out of the club, and I think the biggest thing that I can say about that is that not many Morton fans were unhappy about it. You'll know, and and regular listeners of the podcast will know that um, the style of play that we had under Hoppy wasn't the best, and... It's funny because looking back now, when when he joined the club, everybody he was who everybody wanted. We wanted him to come in. We wanted Morton to play like Levy's uh, that, that promotion team that Levy had, and and obviously he didn't have the best of times down in Bra- at Bradford, but um, maybe that was just a blip. And and I, I, I think looking back now, it probably wasn't a blip that that Hopkin is not the best, or he hasn't been the best. Uh, at all since his time in charge when it was since he since he took over at Morton. So I think obviously the the reason from the club was was pretty baffling and I, I probably uh, sh- shouldn't say too much more about that because I, I don't think we should go into it because it's just totally uh, yeah I'm not sure I believe it but um, I think again finishing off in this wee bit obviously Morton club together are taking over the club next summer. Obviously, I am part of Morton Club together. I think a lot of fans want that happen. Want that want that to happen now. Uh, I'd love that to happen now too. But for me, and and I think looking at everything that's happening at the moment, patience is definitely needed. Um, MCT are still working on getting plans in place. There's negotiation uh, happening in terms of in t- the, on the terms of the deal that is going to happen. Um, we've had a second MCT board member join the club board in the past kind of week or so. Um, Gordon, who's who's a great guy, and and, and he's been amazing uh, on on the MCT board, uh, and that can only be a good thing. Um, so I think, obviously, it's been a tough week. Uh, it's been an eventful week, uh, but I think things are only going to get better from here on in now. Um, and yeah, once MCT is in charge of the club, I think the club will be much less of uh, hopefully we can just kind of obviously you don't want to blend in into the Scottish football uh, you don't want to blend in into the, the kind of be a, just another club um, but for the club to have this many headlines over the past week or so uh, it hasn't been great uh, and I mean obviously yeah you'll, you'll come in and talk about this in a second too but to, to finish off well, I'm going to say it was great to finish off that week with three points on Saturday. Just before we discuss the game then, I mean, I think the whole Hopkin debacle was was mind-boggling. Just the whole way it kind of happened. And as you say, I don't think there were many Morton fans sad to see him going. I think that says quite a lot about it. But at the same time, I think there were a lot of fans perhaps worried with the way it happened. As you said, the kind of reasoning given doesn't really add up. It doesn't really make too much sense. And... Yeah, it kind of makes for worrying reading, but as you say, Morton Club together, which you're part of, and I'm not just saying this because you're part of it, you are doing great things, and yeah, I mean, I don't think things can get much worse at the club, kind of, at the moment, it's a bit of a 
tumultuous time, but hopefully good times are on the horizon for, for the town support. But obviously for this match, there was a kind of temporary management uh, team put in place. It was the previous assistant, Anton McElhone, um, with assistance of veteran Jim McAllister, who's a pal of the pod, and Chris Miller. What did you think of the way that they kind of went about things? Because for me, this was a Morton team that played really nicely and I actually quite enjoyed watching Morton. And I don't think that's something that either you or I could have said for the most part of this season. It has been, as you say, under Hopkins, very poor and disappointing, very defensive. But this Morton team just seemed to click. And whether that was just a kind of case of the new manager bounce, even though it's just kind of an interim appointment at the moment. But yeah, I think, I think Morton played really well. And I'm going to say it now, they deserve to, to beat the Pars on, on Saturday. Yeah, they definitely did. I thought it was a really good performance. I agree with you there. Probably the perfect away performance, um, where you want them, you want your team to be solid defensively, which Morton were. They were really stubborn. Um, we've obviously, again, every week so far this season, and obviously for a big chunk of last season, we were saying that Morton were trying to be stubborn and really difficult to beat. But there's been not the other side of that, where when they've had the ball, they've been threatening. And I think that was a complete flip around uh, on Saturday where where we had the ball. We looked a bit dangerous on the break when we were able to get to get up the pitch. There was far less of those aimless punts that we've seen so far uh, this season. There was some nice passages of controlled possession. There was bringing it out of defence. I think Reese Lyon came in, um, a really talented player. Like He's not had much of a look in under Hopkin. Uh, I thought he played really well on Saturday. Um, Josh McPake obviously was still really tidy on the ball I think both of them were really good at kind of picking the ball up once we'd won it at the back and just bringing it forward a little bit Um, as you said Jim McAllister was part of that kind of interim management team I thought he was superb on the pitch uh, kind of a manager on the pitch if you like Um, and he led the team superbly obviously he's captain as well um, and I, yeah, I just thought it was it was really impressive from us. And uh, yeah, we should probably talk about some of the goals now as well. Yeah, so obviously my main takeaway from the first goal, again, was Parr's poor attempt at a clearance once again. We've seen it against Rafe Rovers and kind of set pieces. Of course, this one came from a throw-in, but just when it comes to kind of getting second balls or just clearances in general, we seem to really struggle. Ker McEnroy this time made a really poor attempt. And to be fair to McAllister, it was... It was a really good finish and he completely deserved the Stone Cold Steve Austin-esque kind of gif that Morton posted on, on the Twitter feed. And yeah, I think the goal really gave your side confidence and they just played a lot better. I felt he's defended really well in that first half. You limited the pass chances and I mean, I think we had few clear-cut chances. McManus had a chance shortly before the Morton opener that he probably should have done better with and then Dom Thomas also forced McAdams into a save for a long-range effort. But other than that, it, yeah, it was quite quite disappointing from a pass perspective uh, after your goal McManus was very unfortunate not to draw the pass level on the hour actually um, got kind of the faintest of touches on it, I think it was you and Murray that got the cross and it just kind of needed that tiny little touch to direct it goalward but it didn't but yeah it was a, a far from ideal kind of way Yeah, I, I just really don't know, I'm kind of lost for words it was just such a poor performance from the pass and I've seen a lot of pass supporters saying it has been coming for weeks, and I guess you could kind of say it has been, and you're just going to be sitting there going, you're just saying that because you got beat by Morton. <laughs> but, like, I think we've seen against Rafe Rovers that the Pars were, were kind of struggling a wee bit. It wasn't the same Pars we've seen early on who were defending really well and attacking well as well. It just, yeah, there was just something missing from this one. I thought it was really 
obviously you look at the lineups and and Morton went with um, Jacobs at right back. Uh, he went off injured as well and finished the match on, on uh, crutches. So hopefully his injury is not too bad. But Rabin Omar came on at half time and you, and you just look at them both not natural right backs whatsoever. And Omar's had a really tough start to his Morton career. Uh, kind of brought in probably to play as a right black uh, right back or a right right wing back. Uh, by Hopkin and, and it's not his natural position whatsoever so it really tough to ask him to do that after he's moved up two leagues as well and going up against Dom, Dom Thomas in that second half but but Dom Thomas barely had a look in like I, I think Morton just played really really well I was a bit worried again looking at the lineups with Brian McLean in a centre-back pairing rather than the back uh, back three that we've been uh, playing for quite a lot of this season but that worked out absolutely fine as well um, he was solid at the back with with Sean McGinty and um, obviously, like you said, Lewis Strap. It's always great to to score from one of his throw-ins. Um, we they, as soon as we get up the park and we get a throw-in and, and Lewis Strap is lining it up, you just hope that there's some chaos in the box and and obviously that happened with the opening goal. Uh, it's time to talk about Calvin Orsi's ghost goal um, because I would have been absolutely raging if we hadn't gone on to win the match after that didn't get given and then Dunfermline basically just go up the park and get a get a penalty. Um clearly uh Owen Fon Williams was over the line and it should have been given as a goal. Uh, and if it if it hadn't, I think Morton fans, there would have been a petition about goal line technology in Scotland rather than the petition that's going uh, around at the moment. I mean, I had texts you, obviously we were watching the game kind of together and texting back and forth and when it initially happened, I was like, oh, it's saved, it's fine. But then you sent the images, I believe it's a Morton photographer who put them on Twitter and there's absolutely no way that that ball wasn't about two metres over the line. Maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but yeah. I mean, there was a first photo that went up and it kind of looked like Ford Williams was kind of lying on the line and I was like, all right, yeah, just like maybe centimetres, full ball wasn't over. But then like the next snap, like milliseconds later, He's so far over the line and it's, even though it would have damaged my pars more, I mean, the fact that that wasn't given was was incredible. And as you say, the pars went right up the other end, got the penalty through, well, after an Aidan Nesbitt handball, which I think was really needless. He didn't need to have his hand up. And then McManus obviously finished that penalty. But, I mean, that, that was really as good as things got for the pars, that goal, because, as I said, at the kind of top of the this game, Another disappointing performance, a real missed opportunity to open a, up a gap on both Rafe and Ayr, who drew on the Friday night fixture, which we'll get on to talk about later. And yeah, I think it's also worth noting that that's now the Pars' long unbeaten run over. It was, what, pulled or two ago, you were pointing out that it was February the last time the Pars lost in the league. And granted, there wasn't football for a large part of the year, but even still, a, a kind of unbeaten streak that long is, is impressive. COVID or not, because that was still several months of kind of last season and then the start of this season. But yeah, very very disappointing. But I think the best team won on the day, and I've I've just got to to say fair play to Morton, and I think it's a huge win that pulls you lot a bit further away from the bottom of the table. Yeah, definitely, and and I think if you look at upcoming fixtures as well, we've got Queen of the South this coming weekend at home. So kind of follow that up with another three points. Um, against them and, and that is a huge couple of weeks for us definitely um, I just wanted to finish off by saying absolute delighted for um, McGuffey to get the winner in this one I think he, he obviously came on 
uh, and and looked. I mean, he didn't do too much, but it was a great finish from him. Um, and to have that impact uh, after coming on for for Robbie Muirhead, who obviously gets much uh, abuse by home fans and away fans, especially when he's playing against Dunfermline. Um, yeah, I think obviously he would have. He he was the one that was coming in that uh, made on form Williams make that initial great save for then the Orsi to follow up in the ghost goal. Um, but yeah, it would have been funny if Muirhead had scored. Uh, but to see him then come off and McGuffey to come on for him and, and McGuffey to make such a big impact to get that winner, delighted for him because he's he's a good wee player uh, and it would be great to get him some some more minutes on the pitch too. So before moving on then, I'm just wanting to quickly plug the article on the Pure Football website which was done by Morton fan Evan McFarlane. You might have seen some of his Morton stuff on the site previously and he's kind of given a good rundown of the kind of state that is Morton uh, FC at the moment. So... So yeah, moving on, you'd mentioned them briefly there when you last spoke, and that was Queen of the South. Now, Queen of the South perhaps put in one of the worst performances we've seen in the Championship this season as they were absolutely humped 6-1 away to Hearts at the weekend. Now, this was the Hearts that we expected to see more of this season and was finally the fantastic Hearts we've seen demolished Dundee on the opening day of the season again. What did you make of this one? The only thing I was surprised of in this match is that Queen of the South scored a consolation. Um, because, as you say, we've been waiting for this Hearts to appear since match day one when they when they dominated Dundee and, and they dominated this one from start to finish. I think Queen's barely had a touch of the ball. They only troubled Hearts maybe a couple of times, max. Um, I, I think when we were watching last week's highlights of the Hearts and uh, uh, Morton match, Hearts' highlights didn't really include much Morton. Um, we saw a little bit of a difference when Morton's highlights came out. There were a couple of half chances that Morton uh, had that weren't really shown, but I don't think the same could be said for this week if we were watching a Queen of the South highlights package because this one was probably all hearts uh, and it was mostly hearts for the hearts highlights as well. Uh, going into some of the goals, I, I think, where do we start? Probably for the first one. I thought it was a great finish from Stephen Naismith. Again, We've been waiting for Hearts to dominate a match. We've been waiting for Naismith to do something like that since since Hearts dropped down into the Championship. And I thought it was really great pressing from them to to win the ball back in, in Queen of the South's half. Um, a bit of a shocker of a pass from, from Norty Norty. Um, I, I don't even know what he's, he's trying to do there. But um, yeah, Hearts, Hearts grab it off him uh, and break up the park and, and a cracking finish from, from Naismith. Yeah, I mean, I think that Naismith goal was probably a potential goal of the season contender. I think last weekend there was a few good goals that we kind of said something similar about, and, and this was an absolutely fantastic strike. He'd obviously, he'd done really well, let the ball bounce and just kind of waited to get himself composed. And I mean, Jack Leafield had absolutely no chance of stopping it. Perhaps, uh, I believe it was Eo Obelai, could have done a bit more and could have tried to put him off, but I mean, a fantastic strike from Naismith and I mean, I think that that was coming. It was more a matter of when, not if Hearts were going to score before Naismith did break the deadlock. Hearts had five or six good chances. And yeah, it was as you say, it was completely all them. And then kind of after that goal, though, Queen's kind of had a kind of, they kind of pecked up a little bit and there was a bit of a shout for a penalty around the half hour mark. Personally, yeah. I don't think it was. I think the ball was away, but would, did you see it differently? I did see it differently. Yeah, I thought it probably uh, it was a huge shout for a penalty. I, in my youth football career, I gave away a similar penalty once, uh, where the opposition striker 
had already taken his shot and the ball would kind of gone out, but I clattered into him and the ref gave a penalty. So ever since I gave that away, I've always thought that uh, if even if the ball's gone and a shot's been taken, but the, the striker gets clattered, I always think it should be a penalty. And, and that's definitely what happened here. I think um, Stephen Doby gets absolutely... Like, Craig Gordon basically sides him down almost. And uh, I mean, first of all, Doby should be scoring that. Um, because it's a huge chance for him, and he's tried. He's just taken that chip uh, a little bit too far, and and like kind of bluted it over the bar. But yeah, I think Gordon sized him a bit, and it probably should be a penalty. And that's at one 0 as well, and that that could change this game. Do you not feel though that the fact Gordon was rushing out to kind of disrupt the the chance, he couldn't really stop it. It's kind of like one of those tackles where a player dives in, but he can't really pull himself out. Gordon was obviously committed to it, and obviously when the player got the shot off. He, he couldn't really stop himself. He wasn't going to stop dead. So I, I don't know if that maybe factored into, I believe it was Willie Collum refereeing this one. I don't know if that maybe factored into his decision or if it was just the fact he's a rubbish referee and that, that's why he never made the decision that you maybe think should have been made. But when I, think... oh, no, I, I, I just think if, it, if that's anywhere else on the pitch, then it's probably a foul and even a yellow card. So I'm not, I'm not sure why it's uh, different in the box for, for goalkeepers coming in. Fair enough, perhaps maybe due to the protection goalies get, but moving on, I think we've seen a lot of crosses from Hearts in this one and the persistence finally paid off when Liam Boyce headed home the second just before the half-time interval. Now, as I said, lots of crosses in that first half and they could have quite easily been five or six up had they been a little bit more clinical. And when you see a full-time scoring a 6-1, you think, wow, Hearts have been very clinical, they've taken the chances. Hearts could have probably won this by double that scoreline. Yeah. I mean, I know that sounds really harsh because winning 6-1, you can't really be too negative about it. But for me, some of the chances they had, Ollie Lee had one, I believe it was in the first half, from a few yards out. Jack Leefield spilled it. As I say, a few yards out, should have finished it, put it over the bar. And then in the second half, it was Boyce or Naismith had a similar chance from a few yards out and done the exact same. And yeah, it's just, it's chances like that, obviously, on this occasion, it didn't hurt hearts because we're that far ahead. At, or would go on to be that far ahead in, in kind of Ollie Lee's miss case. But yeah, I mean, you can't really be missing chances like that regardless of the scoreline for me. But I mean, I think we need to talk about Queen of the South's defending or lack of defending in this match. I mean, they yeah. tried and tried. I think they spent 85 minutes of the game all just kind of parked outside the box, all kind of really tight in trying to... I mean, they were kind of inviting Hearts to take the crosses, but... It, they, they really didn't do well to stop them either, seeing as they conceded six goals. And there were even times when, uh, I'm trying to think which goal it was, I think it was maybe Boyce's second goal where, was it Ollie Lee or Naismith kind of ran in and then kind of nutmegged Obelai and then Boyce or Naismith was just kind of front post, tapped it in quite easy. And I mean, Queen of the South really couldn't stop Hearts on this day. And as we said at the beginning, this is the Hearts we expect to see in although I was just negative about them, it was a very impressive performance and definitely up there with the performance against Dundee is one of the best we've seen in the league so far this season. Yeah, but like we said at the start, we've been waiting for it, but um, something we're also waiting for is for Queen of the South to, to be good defensively and that definitely didn't happen in this one. I've got a big list of things I'm going to talk through now. Cami, you just into, introduced it a little bit, but um, Ayo Obelai, I thought he was probably, I'm going to say at fault. Some of them might be quite harsh, but I'm going to say that he was at fault for four of these goals. Um, so his defending for the second goal is comical for me. He's been dragged out of his position by Ollie Lee on the right-hand side of the penalty area. 
James Maxwell tracks A.D. White's run inside and then Lee is just left completely free to find um, Liam Boyce's head while Obalai trundles back into the centre of the box with his back to the ball, which is just completely laughable for me. Um, where is he for Liam Boyce's second goal, which is just after half time? Um, like, I think that came about 15 seconds into the second half and, and how he can lack that much concentration is just beyond me. Like He turns to look at Boyce just before A.D. White plays the ball through uh, and then just decides to completely ignore him and Boyce is free at the back post to, to slide that in. Um, I thought he, I'm going to say shocking for Jamie Walker's goal, which was Harsh's fourth, but that's maybe me being a little bit harsh on him because he, he just can't get a toe on what looked like a simple loose ball. Um, Walker obviously punishes him and, and joins that massive group of players on three goals this season. Um, and I thought uh, he was at fault a little bit for number five too. He gives the ball away far too cheaply to Josh Ginelli on the right-hand side. And then he gets nutmegged by Boyce. I think this was the one you were saying. He gets nutmegged by Boyce, who sets up Elliot Freer in the six-yard box. Um, uh, and just to add in a little bit more on Queen's defending, Gregory Buchanan uh, falling over while attempting to challenge Liam Boyce for the, for the fifth goal was particularly hilarious as well. So... Not great day for Queen of the South. We are only seven matches in, but I'm probably going to say that they are the worst team in the league. And I'm probably just jinxing that because they are going to Capelo this coming weekend and they'll probably pick up some points now. Um, but I thought they were particularly bad in this one. Yeah, they were especially bad. I, I don't know if I agree with you in saying the kind of the outright worst. I think a case could perhaps be made for the team we're going to discuss next. And that is one of our favourites, Arbroath. I mean, I think... Both Arbroath and Queen's have left a lot to be desired with their performances this season. And Queen of the South, eh, I mean, they've won a game, but they're not very good. I mean, I'm trying to be nice here. Eh, obviously, Finlay Jack, friend of the pod, is massively positive about all things Queen's. But, I mean, I, I've got to just say, I, I don't know how you do it, Finlay, because that would be a real struggle to try and find some positives out of that. But... I guess if I'm to be really kind, I think you could say one positive was the goal. I mean, obviously, as you say, a consolation. I mean, absolutely nothing in the end, but a really good ball in from Reese McCabe, actually, and something that I think they've maybe not tried to take advantage of as much this season, or, well, since he came in, when he was at Dunfermline, I always felt he had a really good kind of dead ball kind of ability. He was good at corners, free kicks from kind of long distance and whatnot. And you just think... Queen of the South have quite a lot of big boys there. Buchanan obviously got ahead a, a few weeks back. Obelize obviously popped up with a few goals and they popped up with one here, which I mean, didn't really take anything or didn't really improve his performance all that much because it, it was terrible from him. Um, and I, I guess you'd kind of say that's like, I, I remember against Rafe Rovers uh, early on in the season when Manny Duku ran through and he just kind of collapsed in a heap on the floor. He's just, I, he's not really impressed me compared to some of the other like centre halves that have been brought in from down south, Frankie Masson at Rafe Rovers, perhaps been the best example of this. He's been fantastic and a really good signing. But Obelai, who also came from down south, hasn't really been up to much. And I think it just goes to show the championship, as we all know, is not an easy league to come and play in. Some players can hack it and some players can't. And as things stand, Obelai and many of these Queen of the South players seemingly can't do that. Uh, it's unfortunate, obviously, we've enjoyed Queen of the South during times of our podcast when at the start of last season when we had like the likes of McCrory and the kind of other lone boys. We, we felt they were brilliant and then kind of since they left, it's, it's all kind of been downhill and really negative. 
yeah, we're trying not to be too negative, but it's it's really difficult when you watch something like this and and they get demolished. Yes, Hearts are one of the probably one of the best teams in the league, if not the best, and it's the second time they've hit someone for six this season so far. They're top of the league with a four point gap now going into the Scottish Cup final, which is obviously not bad at all. But yeah, I think Queens are are definitely one of the teams to watch, and we are expecting them to be down at the bottom. So just before moving on then, do you think that Hearts, as you've just mentioned, they're now four points ahead. Do you think this is the start of them kind of pulling away, obviously? Dunfermline have held on, Rafe Rovers are kind of not far behind, Air aren't far behind, but obviously four points and in a shortened season, that that's two games you have to play before you can catch up. And obviously I can't really see Hearts, obviously Dunfermline stopped them a few weeks ago, but for the most part, no team's really, really troubled them. And I think it's quite hard to see them being stopped, but... I'd like to hope that for the sake of the championship, Hearts don't pull away too soon. I'd like things to kind of just remain just about in reach, just so we've kind of got a bit of a title race to keep going uh, a little bit longer. But moving on, we're going to discuss uh, two of the pure championship favourites in terms of teams, and that is Arbroath and Alwa. Alwa picked up the first win of the championship season, winning 1-0 away to Arbroath, who remain winless. Now, this game was miserable by all accounts. The highlights... I mean, if they were the highlights, I I wouldn't want to see the lowlights anyway because it was a very very poor poor scrappy game between two sides who who have really struggled. And I mean, we've said for weeks now, Aloha have deserved a lot more than the the performance. Sorry, I've deserved a lot more than that they've kind of got based on the performances. I don't think the same could be said about our broth though. But massive win for Aloha, who of course me and you are both big fans of. Yeah, we've got a big soft spot for Alwa, and not not just because we got asked to to go and, and commentate on them a, few, a couple of times this season. I think they play really good football. This one, like you say, was was not a great watch whatsoever. I, I think probably one of those ones that fans are probably glad that they're not in for because to pay to get into that and and watch that ninety minutes of action, yeah, I, I wouldn't fancy it myself. Um, I've I've added this to my list of boring matches this season, which includes Air against Dunfermline and Arbroath against Morton from a couple of weeks back. And ones to forget massively. I don't even think we've got much to say about it, to be honest, Cammy. Like, um, other than we've been saying for a few weeks and Alaba fans have been saying as well that they want to see Stefan Skugel starting. Um, he did in this one. He had a few bright moments, um, but his goal was really scrappy. Um, Derek Caston has a kind of uncharacteristic error and lets it trickle under him. Uh, and I think Alawa will just uh, be delighted with the three points here, get get them back down the road and, and move on to next week. As you say, Skugel started finally. We've called for it for weeks and also Pure Championship Pal Kieran's called for it for weeks. And as you say, he he performed really well in flashes, had a few good chances. And, and as you say, the goal was very scrappy. And when I mean, it was a real howler from Derek Gaston, letting it kind of just slide under him. That's, he, he's ultimately cost our broth on Saturday and, I mean, going on to Arbroath, do you think it's time to panic now? I know we've said it's still early days, like only a week or two ago, but yeah, they're, they're still really ought to find any form. They're still without a win, and it just looks really kind of bad for them at the moment. Kind of like Queen of the South, actually. Yeah, I think it, it is a worrying, it's going to be a worrying thing for them, a worrying thing for Dick Campbell. He'll be fuming, probably, knowing him, knowing what we've seen of him um, and some of the, the kind of post-match and, and pre-match stuff and, and even on uh, knowing what he's like from some of the terrorist stuff that we've seen on the TV. So 
I, I think it's it's a really strange one because for a lot of their matches so far this season, uh, the likes of the Hearts one, for example, they've been kind of classic Alwa where eh, sorry, classic Arbroath where they've been tight, they've been really difficult to beat, they've kind of threatened on the break a little bit. They had some chances against Hearts where they probably should have scored from, and it looks so as though in some in a lot of the cases, probably similar to Alwa before this match where. They've been playing in a very similar way to they were last season, but things have kind of flipped a little bit where some of those chances are just not falling for them. And I don't know where they where, when they're going to start as well because I, I don't think Chris Doolin is the answer to what they're looking for up front. I said that in our preview podcast and I, I thought we maybe get, might get proved wrong. Um, that's not happened so far. I, I just don't think they really have enough firepower to score the goals that they need to and to get them the results that they need to to try and pull up the division this season. Uh, and as we keep saying, it's it's a shorter league, so they need to start picking up points soon. Uh, and I, I don't see where it comes from. No, nor Dan. It's, it's unfortunate to see Arbroath as a team who we really enjoyed last season. Obviously, the surprise package of the league almost actually making the playoffs. But the fact that they managed to keep basically the entire team, the fact, they added that bit of experience with Doolan and one or two others. But They've just really not kicked on a bit, kind of second season syndrome, I guess. And yeah, it's, it's difficult. I think in January, they've got to certainly be looking at options. Obviously, last January, they managed to bring in Craig White and on loan from Hearts. Obviously, I don't think that will happen this this time round, given he's now kind of in and around that Hearts team and scoring goals. But they really do kind of need a player like him who can come in and get goals. Because when White and came in, he managed to kind of find that form that he'd not really had for several years, managed to get a few goals and kind of push our broth up the table and they're really needing someone like that. Bobby Lynn, who we were quite big fans of last season, always heavily involved, but this season he's, he's not really been up to much. I, I don't know if that's just age finally catching up to him. I think he's 34 or 35 now and I think there are quite a lot of older heads in this Arbroath squad and it's maybe just a case of that they're kind of times up. It's Yeah, it's a really difficult one to say, but moving on to something a bit more exciting, we're going to discuss... Inverness's 2-0 draw uh, at home to Dundee. What did you make of this one? I mean, you we we had a bit of a text conversation about this one and you'd initially said that you weren't that impressed with it, but I, I think maybe you'd just watched it after you'd watched our both Alois highlights and you were on a bit of a downer because when I watched it, I thought it was quite a good match. Um, and you'll probably correct yourself in a second when you start talking about it too, but but yeah, I thought it was, it was quite end-to-end. Um, a good few chances for either side. There was a lot of set-piece chances as well, which I think we're noticing much more of so far this season. Maybe clubs are putting in a bit more time on the set-pieces just because uh, in a shortened season, they can maybe uh, get... like It gives them a much better opportunity to score a goal from set-pieces as opposed to just obviously from open play. Um, we, we've already seen quite a lot of set-pieces. We talked about Wraith's short corners last week. I think Charlie Adam, where his deliveries were causing all sorts of chaos um, at times in this one. Um, Josh, Mel- Josh Mullen got on the end of one. Uh, I think uh, Dundee's goal, uh, the first goal came from one too. Liam Fontaine obviously got his first goal um, for the club against his ex-team's rivals. Um, Adam's uh, corner was cracked off the bar by Jordan McGee and, and Fontaine pounced after Alex Jakubiak couldn't stick it in the back of the net. Um, I think the biggest thing to talk about for Dundee, though, is, is Jordan McGee. And uh, we have a good time every week trying to work out how Dundee are going to set up. I think 
uh, McGee came in for Max Anderson in this one, but instead of moving to a back three, um, McGee went into midfield to play alongside Adam and, and Byrne and um, and Paul McGowan. And I think it, it looked a bit more promising, um, to be honest. Uh, obviously, you've got Jakubiak and Mullen up there too. Uh, Osman So did come on with half an hour left to play, and he did make a, a bit of an impact with the, with the equaliser. But I thought Jakubiak and Mullen, especially Mullen, it was a, a bit of good movement from him in this one. And it could be a, a bit of a, a start of a corner for Dundee as well, because that's a, a it's just a small run. It's a couple unbeaten. Obviously, they won last week and they've, they've picked up a draw away at Inverness in this one. But yeah, I, I think it, things are starting to look up a little bit with a few of these uh, players coming in and, and um, James McPake started, starting to settle a little bit on a way that he wants to play. Yeah, I mean, you've got to start somewhere with these kind of runs. And I did see a few Dundee fans a little bit critical of of McPake after this one. And as you said, after my first kind of watch through of it, I didn't think it was up to much. But having watched, as you say, the Aloha versus Arbroath highlights just moments before, I was ex- I would have needed about 200 goals to make anything seem exciting after that because that could have got football stopped. But yeah, upon like a second watch through, I completely agree the game was intending yeah I, I, th- I think I agree with you saying that it probably is a kind of start of a start of a turnaround for Dundee obviously they're still not in the position they'd like to be but and I mean you could argue they really should have won this one and should be winning if they want to be challenging for the title but I think a title kind of push now is nothing more than a pipe dream I think the early form from them shown that they're not quite capable of that but I think the matches that they have played all right, and I think they have probably showed that they are that they are a playoff team if they can continue to perform like this. Now, you've also mentioned some of the, the Dundee goals. I'm wanting to speak about Inverness's first, which came through Pure Champ and Pure Football Pod fave Robbie Dees. Now, for a centre-half, you're not going to see many better goals than this scored this season, kind of like Lee Ashcroft's Zidane-esque volley last season for Dunfermline against Ayr. I wasn't expecting this from Robbie Dees. Was this something that you were aware of that he could do? No, definitely not. And I, I think uh, we we tried we got Gav on to watch the highlights of this one because he does love a bit of Robbie Dees propaganda. Um, so yeah, obviously cracking finish from him uh, again following a corner. So um, yeah, I'm going to start. I'm going to keep on banging that set piece drum uh, every week now. And then also we'd called for James Keaton's in recent weeks to make a bit of an impact and. I think we got that on Saturday from scoring what looked to be a winner, although that lead was ultimately short-lived. But yeah, I mean, I think Keaton's is another player that's finally kind of turned up. I've spoken in length about the young guns who maybe didn't shine as much in this one, or at least for me, and or perhaps it was just the kind of highlights, maybe didn't show them off in the best of lights. But Keaton's certainly stepped up in comparison to his performances earlier on in the season, and that's a that's a cracking player to have when he when he's in form of. So we know all too well about his kind of history in this league. He went up with was it Hearts and Hibs in back to back seasons, and then he went up with someone else. Was it Dundee United as well, or some something like that? Uh, so he's a player who knows how to to kind of get teams up. Granted, it's not only him, but he's he knows what's kind of required and stuff. And I think that's kind of invaluable for John Robertson's men. Um, funny one as well though because like he obviously got the goal in this one but still he had two other huge chances that I think he should have scored from um you'd mentioned that some of the young guns uh, didn't really stand out as much I did agree with that but there was a nice bit of play on the left hand side Miles Story and Cameron Harper 
um, combined and uh, Jordan Marshall got across to, to put a good block in on a James Keating shot but he really should have scored from that and I think he should have burst the net as well in the second half too there was again another corner and we had a bit of a stramash uh, and, and Keating has a huge chance basically in front of the goal uh, and he just doesn't take it and taking those two uh, along with the one that he scores and Inverness win this one so it is fine margins obviously but um, yeah, obviously, it's, it's good to see him on the score sheet, but I, I still think I, I want a wee bit more from him and he should be scoring some of these other chances that he's got. Oh, without doubt. I mean, I, w- I wasn't saying it was the most perfect performance from Keaton's, but to finally get something out of him, I think that's that's better than the, kind of nothing that we've had in previous weeks, but I completely agree. Should have definitely got probably a hat-trick in this one. But just before we move on, um, I want to say I felt... Inverness were quite poor defensively. I don't know if you'd agree with that. It just seemed to me that they found themselves countered a lot or found themselves outnumbered a lot of the times when Dundee were attacking. And I mean, granted, they managed to come away with the draw and they very nearly won it. Uh, obviously, they scored late on before it was rightly chopped off. I don't know if I'll say rightly or wrongly. I don't know what your thoughts are on that when Todorov uh, scored and he was kind of judged offside. But yeah, I mean, I think Inverness could, could consider themselves a bit lucky that they weren't kind of hurt more by Dundee, as I say, countered a lot. And yeah, they just seemed to be outnumbered and it was just kind of down to Dundee not being as clinical as they maybe needed to be that Inverness managed to get the draw. Um, but yeah, I think for, for Inverness as well, it's another good result, a positive result kind of for both sides. They're not losing that. They're kind of building on their kind of push for the playoffs and what have you. And then I think... I should also say this, coupled with the game we're going to speak about next, a United Rafe Rovers, ending the way it did, was a very positive result for Dunfermline. Uh, the Pars obviously lost, as we said to, to Martin. I'll mention that again, just so, so, you, so you like that. Um, yeah, th- those two results went in the Pars' favour this time, but it's not something the Pars can rely on. But have you anything else to add on this one? Perhaps uh, your thoughts on the offside decision? Yeah, I watched it back a couple of times just to double check. Um, obviously because we've been we praised uh, Todorov earlier on in the season, and then he's kind of missed out recently with Keating's um story and Sutherland coming in. And I thought it would have been good for him to to give him, maybe grab the winner after he come off the bench. But the linesman's flag does go up before um Todorov heads it because I think Roddy McGregor initially was offside. Um, and no idea how Roddy McGregor is unmarked in Dundee's. Uh, box from that free kick but he was uh, but I think yeah he'd maybe just straight offside so it was offside for me uh, I, I think where uh, obviously we, we didn't we don't get the the luxury of the the lines that you get in uh, English Premier League coverage but for me if you're looking across that uh, you can kind of tell that uh, McGregor was offside so aye, I'll give them that one. So, as I, as I just mentioned there, we're going to move on to the final game, and that was the Friday night game between Air United and Rafe Rovers. Now, this match ended goalless, but this was not how we expected the match to end. They're both sides that we've been fond of this season, and yeah, the, the match really didn't kind of live up to expectations. Yeah, a bit disappointing, wasn't it? I think it was a classic one where one team has a bit more of the ball, but the other one has a bit better of the chances. Um, Rafe dominated the ball, didn't really create too much. Um, I think we had one maybe decent run from Ethan Ross on the left-hand side. Kieran McDonald had a bit of a cross shot following that uh, that was cleared by by Sam Roscoe. Uh, Kyle Benedictus, I think from that corner, 
had one as well where he's kind of uh, falling back and he, he has a shot that just goes wide. Manny Tuku was making a bit of a nuisance of himself in the box as per. Uh, he had the ball in the net uh, in the second half, but it was it was judged offside. Again, I, I'm not sure what you thought of that one, uh, but apparently, according to uh, the Wraith Rovers match report, it was correctly judged offside. So uh, we'll, we'll give them that one to, to front up for that. Um, and, and yeah, I thought this one probably just gets added to that new list of, of boring close matches that we've had so far this season. Um, two on the same match day is a bit unfortunate with our Broth and Aloha getting added to that list too. But yeah, it's a bit bit disappointing for this one, as you say, because it really should have been a cracker on paper to the to the good footballing sides in a division, but they but they just cancelled each other out. Yeah, they didn't. I mean, for all all their dominance. As you said, Rafe really couldn't challenge Sinicello in the air net, and I think they'd be quite annoyed that they didn't manage to test him more than they ultimately did. Obviously, you mentioned a number of the chances there, but they just seemed to lack that finishing touch, obviously with the exception of Manny Duku's goal that was correctly chopped off. Um, I mean, I believe you want to also touch on Ayr's defence, which is also the best defence in the league at the moment. Yeah, it is. Um, we had... Uh... Ewan Robertson, he, he wrote about it on uh, the 2.1 uh, as well this week. Uh, and I thought uh, it was it was something that I'd actually spotted, obviously, when I was there live against Alloa too. Jack Baird impressed me, uh, made me long for him after he didn't sign for us in the summer, which I'm kind of still a bit disappointed about. Um, but yeah, they, they looked solid with that one. Uh, Aaron Muirhead came in for Patrick Redding uh, in the Alloa match and uh, Jordan Houston played at uh, left-back. Uh, the same happened uh, in this one as well. And Mark Kerr explained after the Aloha match that that was to bring a bit more leadership at the back and finding a spot for, for Muirhead as opposed to dropping Patrick Redding, who's obviously a Scottish uh, under-21 internationalist. So, um, yeah, I thought they, they really looked a bit solid. And uh, some Air fans, particularly uh, my best pal Grant, he's not been that impressed with Roscoe. Um, he prefers it when Muirhead comes in, but but maybe yeah, uh, uh, Mark Kerr prefers them them all to play, and that's why Reading dropped out. And as I said, you Ewan uh, wrote that article on the two point one this week about Air's defence, and and he was at this match on Friday night too. Uh, and here's a bit of uh, audio post match that he was kind enough to send us. All in all, it's probably a fair result. Just going on the first half, um, but we're defending well, we're solid, and even when we're not our best. It shows that we can change things and, and we do get back in, on top of the game. It's the main takeaway that defensively you are good and you know, keep playing well, goals will come to you. You've got the players there and, and Bruce and Innes and Daddy when he comes on, who will, who will score goals over the season. Aye, I'm more frustrated at, at the first half because I felt that that's what we, we felt that's what we, we were set up to do. Um, and we never quite got, got that momentum. Moth's um, chance probably changes that. Goals change the games, don't they? And it's the same second half. I think we would have been more than comfortable if we had managed to take one of the chances because defensively we are, we are solid. Um, our shape probably could have been better in the first 25 minutes. Um, we stopped crosses. Uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't pleasing. But overall, it's again, Big Innes has come on and had a chance again. Um, and me, Bruce, probably had a couple of wee half turns. We'd done really well the night, but you know, I'm waiting on Dario playing him in, down on his right side rather than down on Innes' left. It's a, it's a wee fine margins there that you you get frustrated. Another thing that I noticed in this game, and it was something that the BBC cameras picked up, was the style icon that is John McGlynn. Um, John McGlynn, obviously fresh, kind of back from surgery, and fantastic to see him kind of back involved again after a kind of few weeks out early on in the season. 
The BBC cameras caught him wearing a beanie hat with his trademark baseball cap over the top. Now, you were a big fan of John Robertson's tartan scarf last week. What did you make of John McGlynn's fashion choices this week? Yeah, I mean, anything to keep yourself warm. Hey, like I, I think it's definitely getting into the beanie hat weather at the moment and you need to keep up if you've got a style that you're, you're you stick with then you need to keep that up too so so why not wear them both at the same time uh, i think it might catch on in kirkcaldy <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see about that but it, it does kind of seem like a, a baseball cap is maybe kind of stuck to john mcglynn's head because i could actually tell you the last time i've seen him without one but anyhow um as we kind of both said, a disappointing game, one that we were expecting much more from, and yeah, a kind of bad way to start the start the weekend's action that was kind of picked up in some areas, especially that Hearts win, and obviously you'll say the the Morton win over Dunfermline, and then obviously as we said earlier on, Alwa's Alwa's first win of the season against Arbroath. So that brings an end to this week's edition of the Pure Championship podcast. If you enjoyed what you listened to, be sure to to leave a review, share it around with your pals and let us know your thoughts because we always enjoy interacting with people and we'll see you next week.